Okay, thank you. Thank you, Curtis. This morning we're going to continue our study of the uh, first chapter of 1 John. And we're going to think about uh, intimacy with our God who is light. Uh, last week we considered the first four verses of this chapter. And we learned that intimacy with God is rooted in the historic reality of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then that our intimacy with God is experienced only through the gospel of this uh, God-man, Jesus Christ, who has appeared in time and in history. And now we're going to go on and read uh, verses 5 through 10 of 1 John chapter 1. Uh, before we read, let me pray. Father, thank you for your mercy to us in our Lord Jesus. We praise you, Jesus, who, although you were uh, and are God, that you loved us and that you added to your divine nature a human nature, uh, becoming the unique God-man, uh, so that you came and lived for us and died for us, uh, raised again for our justification, and now exalted in the heavens. And as we pray, Father, we recognize the um, work which you are doing in our lives and in the world, and we pray that you would continue that, uh, send your Holy Spirit to continue that work in us as we handle your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it careful attention. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So far the reading of God's word. A few years ago, I was cooking some chicken on the grill, uh, which my wife had uh, marinated. It's getting dark outside, uh, but uh, the grill was hot, and so the time didn't defer me. So I uh, chucked a couple of pieces of uh, chicken on the grill, dosed it with some garlic powder, closed the lid, and uh, went back inside and rinsed off the plate. Uh, I figured I could um, uh, tell when they were done just by looking at them uh, because I had forgotten to look at the uh, clock. I didn't know what time it was. Um, after a while, I went outside and was a little bit distracted with the dogs and the work that I've been doing in the yard, I looked around and uh, I said, oh, oh, you have the chicken. Uh, so I dashed back over to the grill and uh, uh, to my relief, uh, 
that chicken looked wonderful. So I turned off the grill and put the chicken on the plate and came back inside. And there on the plate uh, was some well-done chicken. Uh, well done on one side in particular. Uh, in the dark, uh, it looked passable, looked pretty good. But in the light, uh, my air was exposed. Uh, this morning, we're going to consider God who is light and us who are sinful as we look into God's Word. Uh, thinking about this wonderful promise that we have of intimacy with the living and the true God. The first thing that John is uh, concerned that we know is that intimacy with God requires a light from God who is light. Or we might say intimacy with God requires revelation from Him. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Now in the previous verses, the Holy Spirit, through the writing of John, has written of the word of life. Uh, uh, John has been an eyewitness to this word. He's speaking of the historical Jesus. He has heard him. He has seen him. He has touched the God-man. And he has convinced us that it is only through this Jesus, this historical Jesus, the Son of God, uh, that we have fellowship with the true and the living God. And now he goes on to inform us about his message. The word message is uh, linked together in this passage uh, by uh, a, a word in the Greek language which is more obvious in Greek than, than it is in English. Uh, the word message um, is related to the word proclaim uh, in verse 3 and also in verse 5. This is the message that he is concerned to tell us. The message was not invented by John or by anyone else. Rather, they have heard it from him. This is the message from Jesus Christ. John is saying that the message he has written is exactly what he has heard from Jesus. Now, he's probably not referring to any one specific saying of the Lord, since we don't have a saying like this in the New Testament, but he is summarizing the teaching of the Lord when he says that God is light. This is not something which John has made up himself or discovered. Rather, this is the truth which has been revealed or disclosed to him by Jesus. And so, the task of the apostle uh, and the task of the minister of Jesus is to pass on from him what God has revealed to him about himself. And this is the pattern that Christ has established for his church. He has given apostles who have been eyewitnesses to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, in turn, have passed this teaching on to reliable men who are qualified to teach others, Second uh, Timothy 2. And so there's this ongoing link which Jesus has established. Uh, his apostles have witnessed concerning him, and they have passed on his word 
to his ministers. And this continues on. Uh, but the most important thing, Krista, is that the apostolic message is true to the revealed message of God and that it is conveyed to the people of God. And the point I'm really trying to make is that the message of God is an historic message. It's not something which is made up or contrived. It's not something which may be tampered with or changed. It's divinely appointed, divinely given. And God has charged His church and His ministers in particular with the safekeeping of this gospel. So we must pay careful attention because Christ speaks to us through His Word, His written Word, as well as the spoken Word of His ministers. And ministers are bound to preach the gospel of Christ, which is a historic gospel of the God-man incarnate, suffering, crucified, dying, resurrected, and now reigning on high from heaven. We would not make up this message. Uh, we could not contrive it ourselves. We need to believe it if we are to have fellowship with God. Uh, now this is the message which John the Apostle is conveying to his readers and conveying to us. So now, just to put it in a little bit um, different light, so to speak, I need God's light to show me the reality of my need for Him just as much as I needed the reality of the physical light to show me the condition of my burned up chicken breasts on my grill. Now we need to move on and consider a little bit um, closer what it means that is what we what, sorry. What does John mean when he says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all? What does the word light suggest? Of all of the statements of God's essential being, none are more comprehensive than this one. God is light. And just as it is the property of light to shine, it is the property or the nature of God to reveal himself. Uh, and this revelation is of a perfect purity and majestic grandeur. Uh, we are to think of God as a personal being, infinite in all of his perfections and transcendent. Uh, Isaiah says that he is the high and lofty one, the one who lives forever and whose name is holy. And yet he is the one who makes himself known to his people. His nature is that he reveals himself. And his word tells us that he reveals himself to those who are contrite and lowly in spirit. Let's pursue this a bit further. Uh, this assertion that God is light is uh, laden with meaning, but we'll just uh, flesh out two facets of it. Uh, first, 
as light, God is the source of life. He is the source of all life. Um, Minds taught by Scripture will go back to Genesis 1, verse 3. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. These words depict the earliest expression of the nature and will of our Creator. He speaks, and what He says comes into being. He reveals Himself by both His words and His actions. The God who creates begins revealing Himself by making light. And this is the primary expression of His being. Out of light... Everything else grows. Without light, there could be no plants or animals. All life is dependent upon light. There would be no growth, no beauty, no activity. All creation owes not only its existence, but also its continuance, its sustenance to God who is light. He creates And he sustains life. God is the source of all life. God is light. This is equally true in the spiritual realm. In the Old Testament, light was a symbol for the presence of God. This is clearly illustrated by the uh, pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, which God used to lead his people during the exodus from Egypt. The pillar of fire, illuminated and guided by night. And perhaps this function of light as a source of guidance and illuminating the way lies behind what John's emphasis is here in walking in the light as an essential part of Christian discipline. God is the true source of all guidance and illumination. God is light. And secondly, as light, God is pure. It's a common figure of speech in both the Old and New Testaments to contrast good and evil by using the imagery of light and darkness. John is especially fond of this contrast and he uses it many times in his writings. Um, He teaches us that God is the revealer of truth and that he is pure. John is saying that God is perfect in his goodness. He is utterly pure. He has disclosed his truth so that we may walk in the light of it. This goes on uh, right along with the next phrase which he's talking about in verse 5. In him is no darkness at all. God is absolutely holy. That is, God is utterly incompatible with darkness or sin. Uh, John is using this uh, um, figuratively. God is mutually exclusive with evil. God is pristine in his holiness and cannot even for a moment tolerate wickedness or evil in his presence. More literal translation of this phrase is in darkness, I'm sorry, and darkness in him, no, not at all. 
um, we might say uh, there's no way that he has any darkness in him. The idea of darkness um, comes from a root in Greek which means gloom and physical darkness. And John, as I said, consistently uses this in a figurative sense. And so he says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Or in John 8, Jesus spoke to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in John 12, Jesus again spoke, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. While, walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. And then finally in 1 John chapter 2, John writes, Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And so you see, John uses this term darkness for all moral darkness or sin. Everything that is in at enmity with God, whether it's earthly or demonic, those things which are apart from God, for God is holy. So think about what John is writing, what the Holy Spirit is saying in this verse. He's saying, I have a message which I have received from the historic Jesus. This message concerns intimacy with God, but it's only possible through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And he helps us in our understanding of this by saying that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So get it, he's talking about intimacy, our intimacy with a God who is absolutely holy. This should fill us with wonder and adoration. We have fellowship with the living and the true God who is light. He is absolutely perfect in his morals and ethics. And we have intimacy, closeness, not only access to, but we have the ear and the heart of the living and the true God. And so, as God's people, how could we ever for a moment cherish sin in our hearts? Seems unfathomable, doesn't it? How could we dare to go on living with one foot in the world and another foot in the church? It's impossible to live in the dark and walk in the light, John is saying. Because intimacy with God requires a holy lifestyle. We're going to think about this because really it is perplexing. You know your life. I know my life. I know what I'm like. And I have fellowship, closeness, intimacy with a God who is absolutely pure and holy. 
Now, to help us understand this, John combats three false uh, teachings of his day. The first is that sin doesn't really matter. Sin doesn't really matter. Verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John writes in bold, black and white terms. He cuts through all pretense and gets straight to the issue. And he's blunt. He asserts that those who claim fellowship with Christ but are continually living in sin are liars. The phrase walking in the darkness indicates those whose lives are characterized by unrighteousness. That is, their lifestyle is one of godlessness. They might claim to be Christians, but the overall direction and testimony of their lives, their actions, their thoughts, their motives are bent towards sin and rebellion against God. And the Bible is teaching professing Christians whose lives are characterized by sin are liars. These are provocative words. They're alarming words. And they're intended to be. This is a reality check. So, professing Christian, look at your life. Are you walking in the darkness? Are you rebelling at God? Do you chafe at God's word? Are you living in sin and pretending it really doesn't matter? Those who claim to be intimate with God and who walk in darkness are liars. This is not my opinion. These are the words of God. Now John goes on, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, pay careful attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying. He's drawing a distinction now between the liar who says he's a Christian yet continues to live in sin and now the believer who is walking in the light. Notice that the Holy Spirit very clearly implies that those walking in the light need purifying by the blood of Jesus. So let's get this straight. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows that you sin. He knows that I sin. And walking in the light involves intimacy. It involves intimacy with other Christians. And it also involves continually being purified, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, he says here. Those claiming fellowship with Christ and who live in the light are being purified by Jesus' blood. And so, professing Christians live in the light of God's forgiveness. We are not perfect in, our, in ourselves. We always need the blood of Jesus applied to us so that we will be purified from all of our sin. As Christians, we are to strive to please God in every area of our lives. 
Everything that we do should be an offering to God, should be governed by God's Word. And this is a noble goal, and it's the correct goal. But we also always must remember that what we do to please God is not the basis for our intimacy with God. The relationship you enjoy with God is because Jesus Christ has walked perfectly in the light for you. And it is His blood that cleanses us from all sin. And so, intimacy with God is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, His life and death. He has lived for us. He has died for us. He's purchased our salvation. He has experienced the wrath of God against our sins. And our closeness with God is based solely, only on what Jesus has done for us. And so, by God's grace, we now put our faith and our hope in Jesus. We trust in His work on our behalf. And as we recognize that God cannot tolerate sin, we rejoice that Christ has paid the penalty, that our sin has been now covered, but now we attempt by God's grace and in His power to walk in the light. Now verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Our intimacy with God John says, is walking in the light. And he's going to spend the rest of his letter unpacking exactly what he means by this. But he's in, um, his intent now is to continue to deal with this issue of sin. How does a Christian, how does a child of God, one on intimate terms with God, deal with sin? Now, we have already learned that God requires a godly lifestyle from His children. Because our Father in Heaven is holy, we must bear His image. We must be holy. This means not sinless perfection, but rather a lifestyle directed to pleasing God. Okay? Our sin is covered because of what Jesus has done. But what do we do with sin? How are we to deal with it? John tells us three important truths about sin and walking in the light. First, to walk in the light, I must acknowledge the sin in my life. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Literally, if we are saying that we do not have sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. To have sin means to be guilty of sin. Those who claim that they are not guilty of sin are what? Self-deceived. Uh, I think the sin here uh, refers primarily to our sin nature. Uh, John is dealing with the facts of sin a little bit later. But he's talking about the sin nature that we all have, that we all must deal with. Uh, professing Christians 
must recognize the reality of sin. To ignore your sin is to deceive yourself. And it shows that you are not walking in the truth. It's difficult for us to admit that we sin sometimes. Um, the story is told of uh, a woman who approached John Wesley. And he had been preaching on sin. And she came to him and said she uh, acknowledged that she was a great sinner. And Wesley agreed and says, uh, I'll pray for you, madam, for you are a great sinner. Immediately she snapped back, oh, well, I've never done anything that wrong. <laughs> you see, we always want to defend ourselves. It's hard for us to admit, really, that we sin. My initial reaction is self-defense and to make excuses. But the Bible is telling us, acknowledge your sin. Admit it. God knows it. And you know it. So fight against it. Don't hide it. Just admit it. Secondly, to walk in the light, I must confront acts of sin in my life. So I not only have a sin nature that I need to deal with, I also have acts of sin in my life which must be dealt with. If we, confl- if we claim we have not sinned, We make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. More literally, if we are saying that we have not sinned, we are making him a liar, and his word does not have a place in our lives. He puts it like, uh, either God is lying or you're lying when it comes to this dealing with sin. If you're ignoring your sin, if you're denying your sin, God says it's there. Deal with it. Deal with it. Uh, The idea, again, is that the denial that one has never sinned or that now he is beyond the point of sinning, that is, he's no longer capable of sinning, is false. So, actual sin, acts of sin, are ignored or redefined. Or maybe it's not important anymore. Uh, Another old story, I guess, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon was arguing, debating, discussing with a man about sin. And this man claimed that he didn't sin anymore. uh, That his sin was dead. And Spurgeon said, no, no, it's not dead. It could be easily revived with a glass of water. So he took a glass of water and he doused the man with it. Uh, and he showed that his sin had merely fainted <laughs> and could be easily revived by a glass of water. Uh, that's the way sin is, very subtle, very tricky. And when we think it's dead, it's not. It's merely asleep or maybe just waiting for its chance to pounce upon us. Professing Christians who ignore sin call God a liar and despise his word. That's the fact of the matter. Sinful acts grow out of our sinful nature. But praise the Lord, you see, we have, our sins are forgiven. 
But we need to deal with these things in our lives to deepen and develop our intimacy with God. Christians are sinners who have intimacy with God. Uh, Matthew Henry helps us to understand. He says, The Christian life is a life of continuing repentance, humiliation, putting to death the sin that remains in each Christian, and of continual faith and, and thankfulness in the love of our Redeemer. We long in hopeful joy and expectation for the day of our full redemption when we will be fully and finally acquitted and sin abolished forever. As a Christian, we walk in the light and we struggle and we deal with sin. It involves admitting our propensity, our tendency to sin. It involves our confronting acts of sin and acknowledging that we have not always walked in the light. And then finally, to walk in the light, I must confess the sin in my, light, in my life. If we confess our sins, verse 9, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Professing Christians must continually confess sin. The term confess means to say the same as or to agree with. To agree with God as to what sin is or that I am sinning. God calls those who are intimate with Him to agree with Him that we are sinners by nature and sinners by practice but who are clinging to a Savior named Jesus. And what John is describing here, what God is telling us, is repentance is an ongoing practice. It's not a one-time act. It's not something that we can look back on and say, look, I repented years ago. But Christians should be characterized by continuous repentance and repeated confession and notice the wonderful promise which God attaches to this call to confession he promises to forgive us and to cleanse us because he is faithful and just he is faithful to his word he always keeps his promises and he has pledged to forgive his repentant people. And God is just because His Son, Jesus Christ, has died and paid the penalty for sin. Forgiveness and cleansing are conditioned upon confession. Scripture is replete with warnings not to hide our sin. There is a great danger in hiding sin. And there is great blessing when we confess our sins to God. This calls for more than just a general confession. God, forgive me. But it calls for specifics. God calls us to examine ourselves. To examine our thoughts and our motives which spring and grow from our 
nature and to deal with those. He calls us to deal with the acts of sin and rebellion against Him and against others. He calls us to confess those sin before Him and against those we have sinned against. And when we confess our sins, God forgives us. The additional words which John uses in this passage to uh, describe this forgiveness uh, are interesting and edifying. Uh, Purifying us from all our sin. Purifying us from all unrighteousness. Just think, God no longer holds our sins against us. We're no longer dirty. We are cleansed. We are purified. Jesus has covered our sins. And when we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God has called us to live in intimacy, closeness with Him. We live every day from now on in close communion, in close connection with the God who is light. Remember, He is sparkling in His moral purity. In Him there is no hint of darkness. He radiates splendor. And He has called us, He has called you to be close to Him. And intimacy with God requires that we be close to the God who is light. We have a slide projector on the ceiling of the church. Uh, Right now it usually has slides in it. Uh, If just the light peers through, it exposes uh, what the light hits. It reminded me of a wall that I had in Australia. We had purchased a home. It had this nasty wallpaper on it. And uh, I stripped the wallpaper. And rather than having a wallboard underneath, it had uh, plaster. And as we tried to scrape off the uh, remaining glue, uh, uh, we gouged it a couple places. And um, so we washed it all off and then painted it. And the wall looked pretty good, I thought. Um, We painted it and we lived in the home for a little while. Um, We had the occasion to view some color transparencies with a projector kind of like that one. Uh, And before before we put the um, carousel of slides in, we were trying to uh, place the projector in the proper uh, place. And we turned on the light, and I looked at the wall, and I couldn't believe it was the same wall. I mean, I thought it was flat and pure. It looked great. And the pure light of that light bulb illuminated all of the defections on the wall, all the gouges, all the little scrapes, all the little pinholes. I saw the discrepancies. Now, when we expose our lives to the light of God's purity, that's what it's like. To walk in the light means to become increasingly conscious of sin which hinders our intimacy with God and with one another.
when sin is revealed, you must run not back to darkness, but run to the God who is light. Because in His Son, He promises to accept you and to develop your intimacy with Him. You need God's light to show you your defects and sin so that you grow in your intimacy with God. So just as much as I needed the uh, light of my kitchen to show me how I burn my chicken breast that evening, we need God's light to shine in our lives, to show us our need of the gospel, our need of a Savior, His provision of that Savior and of His continuing love for us in that Savior. This is the Gospel. Christ has died for the ungodly. Our fellowship is with the God who is pure and holy. And He is making us pure and holy. The way He does it is that He confronts the sin in our lives. Our part is to acknowledge it and admit it. To not hide it, but to deal with it by confessing it, forsaking it, and clinging to our Savior and entrusting in Him to live as the followers of God. God is light, and He calls us to walk in His light. We thank you, our Father, for revealing yourself to us and revealing our need of you and of a Savior. We thank you for your provision of that Savior, even our Lord Jesus, who is a perfect light in himself and who has taken our guilt and sin and paid for that by his shameful death on the cross and who now gives us life that we might walk in the light. So we pray that you would send your spirit to empower us, that we might rejoice in you, that we might live in the light which you give us. Help us to turn away from that which is sinful and evil and turn towards you, choosing for you, honoring and blessing you as much as we are able as we depend upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.